Welcome, friends, to another episode of Champion Hope. I am your host, Lance Howard. Today's guest is a friend that dates back to 20 plus years from our time together at Lubbock Christian University. Dr. John Deloney hosts a show with Ramsey Solutions and the Dave Ramsey team called The Dr. John Deloney Show. So check him out. Check out his book, Redefining Anxiety, on Amazon, and get the free download at Ramsey Solutions of a meditation uh, that he guides you on as a mental health expert. But before we go on, and before I release you over to the show, uh, we are having a phenomenal time over in the Champion Circle. The Champion Circle is a group of like-minded men who set out to achieve growth together. We have just finished up a month together about nutrition and health and how do we play the long game when it comes to our body. Specifically, two months ago, we talked about marriage. How do we level up in our marriage? And a few months ago, we talked about identity. How do we remain calm and connected and a well self-differentiated leader? If you're looking for growth in your life and to be surrounded by men and a community of like-minded people, please check out the Champion Circle at championhope.com. I would love to see you over there. And without further ado, thank you for stopping by. My guest today is Dr. John Deloney, and we dive into sleep, nutrition, exercise, uh, grounding, we talk about how to rewrite our story and going back to our six and seven year old, eight year old self and not allowing that season of life to be a period. But instead, uh, we get a chance to continue to write new sentences in our life. Uh, so jump in with us and enjoy this episode together. And remember that champions on the outside are built with hope on the inside. It was good times, but that's not good why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. All right, let's so, do it. Whatever you want to do, let's do it. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. John Deloney, uh, for coming on the Champion Hope podcast today. Super honored and humbled. Uh, our roots go back to, man, as early as 1999. But my my earliest memory of you, I think it was that freshman week at Lubbock Christian University. And you did the backpack talk of luggage and things and uh, just leave your luggage behind, leave your stuff behind. I did that? Yeah. Yeah. That was your very first 1999. <laughs> I have no recollection of that at yeah. all. So that's funny because uh, I still give that talk now and I thought I just rewrote it and made it all new. <laughs> I thought I wrote it just a year ago. Turns out I'm just recycling 20 year old material. That's embarrassing. Nothing new under the sun, right? Wow. Not even in my own. Hey, if that's the if that's the memory you have, that's good. There's some yeah. other people that would say, "Hey, man, my memories of you aren't aren't super great for podcasts." Right. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've recently wrote a book. You've recently joined Dave Ramsey in the Entree Leadership, and you know whole his whole host of uh, brands. And so, congrats on that journey. I want to dive into some of your journey, but but first, I just want to give a shout out to your Instagram post. Uh, this this morning, and maybe we can talk about it for a few minutes. Uh, specifically, I just started laughing uh, that the processed foods and the artificial preservatives and colors that we add into all the stuff. 
are barely more nutritious than the cheapest dog food. Uh, that's, prob- that's probably, I probably am not being honest there, but the dog food's healthier, right? <laughs> At least the dog food came from an animal at some point. I mean, or a plant. So, so while we're on it for a moment, uh, you're, you're huge mental health advocate. Uh, anxiety is probably your, your niche per se, or that's what you're branded by. Uh, how is our current state of food and nutrition impacting our life? I think if, if there's a couple of things here, one, there is a lot of hoopla and I get caught up in the hoopla. I used to have spreadsheets, dude, that they're, they're embarrassing. Like I was like a beautiful mind, like just bonkers. I had spreadsheets of fad diets. I would try for 30 days and I got my own glucose meat, all the stuff. And I, I don't have diabetes or anything. I just want to know, like, what are these actually doing to my body? And then now as we've gotten into some more wearables and stuff like that, you can, I got this little, I, all kind of gadgets. I want to find out what this stuff's actually doing to me. The, the reality is so much of it we don't know. We, I, I really don't know. And there's some, some of the, some of the studies are just so garbage. And now we're in a world where the manufacturers are just hiring their own scientists to do their own studies. And that way they own the results and they can shell the negative ones and only put out the positive ones. And some of the positive ones are just, it's just bad science. But at the end of the day, I know this to be true. We're eating way more, way more often and way more manufactured, not real food. And we are mainlining sugar and we are mainlining just a, a, uh, you know, just like a, I was going to say smorgasbord. That makes me sound like an idiot. We're okay. mainlining a whole bunch of chemicals that didn't exist okay. 50 years ago or 100 years ago that we may not have the double blind study to prove X, Y, and Z. But I know, we all know that our bodies are designed to adjust this stuff. And so um, I think we're just playing whack a mole with our physiology. And now the research is super clear. There's not really mental health or physical health, those no. were academic bifurcations. There's really just health. And oh. when you push one domino, man, you just, we're all wired differently. We're all from different places, our ancestors, and we're all have different um, genetic makeup, man. And when you push those dominoes, you just don't know where they're going to fall. Oh. And oh. Um, I just, I just eating real food and slowing down, eating less food and being cognizant about what we're putting in our bodies. We just, we just sold that out. Yeah. Oh. Oh. That, that's the theme for our month in my mastermind that I host. And yesterday with the guys, I had them uh, rank themselves one to five in five different areas, uh, you know, sleep, stress, nutrition. Um, what are, cause I'm going to leave this topic. Yeah. What are three things that you've done today to kind of combat um, the decisions you're making to live a wholehearted life, to live, uh, I don't want to say carefree, but what are, what are nutritious decisions you've made actually today on, on this day? Hmm. Um, let's see this morning I was, so I, I look at my, you take one step after the other every day and your days become weeks and your weeks become months. Right. So you can make some tiny little decisions every day. The other side of that is you can, those decisions are become a piece of a larger ecosystem. So I looked at that today was reflective of what yesterday looked like and what was reflective of last Tuesday, Wednesday, I did a talk here for a mortgage company, a giant mortgage company here in Nashville. And then I jumped on a plane and flew to Houston to do an event that night in Houston. 
the next morning at five, we were up on a plane to fly back. And then I had two days worth of shows and I got back on a plane and went to Lubbock to do an event that was four talks in 24 hours. And then um, landed back. Was that? Yeah, I landed back to uh, Monday night and then, man, Tuesday we were on it. So now I'm waking up Wednesday. Um, I don't know when this, this thing comes out, but I'm waking up Wednesday. So I was highly, usually I don't eat breakfast or if I do, um, it's a real high fat breakfast and that just gets me through. And so today, though, I did sit down and have breakfast full of collagen and berries and some obnoxious, uh, I don't know, some yogurt from goats that slept in the beds of nuns somewhere <laughs> on the other side. Of the, I mean, some of, I mean, yeah. And, um, and then for lunch, I had a high protein, high fat lunch with, with no grains or any of that kind of garbage. And so, um, it's being intentional about where I'm at today. And so I know today I'm going to be dragging. I didn't sleep as well as I wanted to last mm-hmm. night. And so I'm going to be intentional about my nutrition. So now once you, once you make some life changes, it says, I'm going to kick sugar out of my life. I'm going to kick grains out of my life. Then I can begin to dial it in today. I'm going to need a little bit more and I'm not going to feel bad about, I don't eat breakfast. Well, that's dumb. If you need breakfast, eat breakfast. Right. Um, or I don't ever eat. Well, don't be like that. Right. But sometimes you got to swipe the whole desk clean before you start putting stuff back on it. Um, and then last night being intentional about sleep, we went to bed. My wife was laughing like, man, we are such losers. I think the lights were off at like nine 20 last night. We just went to bed early. And, um, then this morning I skipped the gym and it was raining outside and I live on a bunch of, on some, not a bunch on seven acres out here in the woods. And it was a meditative morning. So I went and sat on my front porch with my coffee yes. and I literally just breathed for an hour and yes. uh, I didn't work out and lift. And I'm a big proponent of lifting and working out. That's a big part of my day. And it wasn't today. So some of it's just dialing in on where you are today. When you live, what's your whole picture of, of health look like? Those are three things there, man. Um... And it sounds, Hey, this is going to sound stupid. It's harder for me on most days to not work out. It's hard for me to rest. And so some people, I've got people in my life who I love. It's really hard for them to get to the gym. That's not for me. It's the other way. Like today was a day I just needed to rest and you just got to listen to your body. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you're the, the key you're talking about is anticipating, being able to anticipate intentionally. Yeah. Um, but also the key that you're talking about is that the habits that you've built over time mm-hmm. allow you to get back on track. Um, I think a lot of times people get overwhelmed by even starting any type of goal, much less a health goal, because they get overwhelmed by the entire journey versus just looking at like today. And, and, and you're aware enough of like, okay, I'm anticipating all my travel schedules, but I need to get back on track. Yeah. Uh, or like when I, when I land, the, my team here makes fun of me my, when we land in a new town. And again, this sounds so deep and cheesy. I get it's embarrassing to say this, just, but it's being honest. I, by the, when we land, um, the first thing I do is go to the gym. I need 45 minutes or an hour to just blow all that travel out. All the, I'm always late. A hundred percent of the time I'm late to the airport and sitting around and waiting and flying. I hate flying. So there's just a, that's just me hitting control, alt, delete on that day. And then we go to whatever event we're there to do. But I build that time into my schedule. Just, and I know I need it, right? Yeah. No, I, I get it. I mean, my wife and I just bought a Vitamix travel carrying case because yeah. we're like religious about our smoothies. <laughs> Awesome. we're just religious about it um so i think so it comes for, down to intentionality like i could have been surprised that i was tired when i woke up on wednesday i knew last monday that this upcoming wednesday i was going to be tired i could just look at my travel schedule yeah. and i can be i can be in service to that or i can get on top of it and yeah. be intentional about going to bed be intentional about um community time and I, be intentional about what i'm putting my body and yeah. i can either pretend like oh i didn't know i knew i 
Yeah. We'll, we'll probably come back to this, this theme uh, in a moment. So I want to go on your, your journey uh, for just a, a brief second, because I know, uh, let's use Andrew Peterson's uh, songs of home and some of his language, but you serving in the mental health capacity in the field that you're in, uh, a lot of people look at you today and are like, man, I could never be John Deloney who goes outside and stands in the grass with my shoes off and sit for 10 minutes and breathe and uh, read my Bible, like whatever, right? Get outside and, and deadlift, you know, uh, 350 pounds, whatever you're doing these days. Uh, maybe 25 pounds. Or <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like a lot of people kind of see where you're at today mm. and don't really know that journey away from home. Mm. So, so kind of, would you take us on that journey of, of your evolution of, of growth and uh, the valleys and mountains that would be relevant, you know, for, for our time today? Yeah, I, th I think, um, I'd go back maybe two or three seeds that, that are bearing fruit now, 20, 30 years later is, um, some parents I grew up and they weren't perfect. Um, dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT guy. My mom wasn't allowed to go to college. Um, that was just the culture she grew up in. And so her first community college class was at 42. She finally got the courage just to buck the system. And she took a class and then another class the next semester, another class. And, um, then my dad was a SWAT guy, homicide detective. He was a stud in the city of Houston, saw some wild stuff. And then over a weekend, um, took a job in ministry at a large church in Houston. And then over time, my mom went from a stay-at-home mom. She like worked in the craft room at a local church to um she graduated at 57 with her phd and then became tenured as a professor at 63 and she's 71 now she just stopped being the department chair this year wow she wouldn't get on a plane before and now she's flying and teaching at oxford and wales all over the world so i grew up with parents who gave who not only talked a lot of parents say just follow your dreams do whatever do what's my parents just did the next thing that made the most sense and the next craziest thing. So I got a, I had a model for that, I had a picture for that. Um, the second thing is, is um, I was raised in a, in a, in a culture of curiosity, less judgment and a lot of curiosity. So, man, if you don't know something, go figure it out and go to the library. My mom took me to the library every week when I was a kid, we read like crazy as kids. And then as we got older, it was always, well, let's just go figure it out. And then most of my career has been at colleges and, man, I don't know much of anything, Lance, but you know, what's cool is I got a lot of buddies. Like that dude's got a degree in physiology. When COVID kicked off, this was cool. I don't know anything about epidemiology, but I got a friend who's a cancer biologist. She knows way more than me. And so I don't even have to, <laughs> I never had to Google anything. I just asked my buddy who's the Dean of a pharmacy school. So the whole, I was grew up with have some people in your life that you can go to, oh. to ask hard questions. And so this idea of being curious, and I think a lot of folks get locked down in judgment and I'm having mental health challenges. What's going on? I'm struggling. I don't sleep well. For me, it, the default setting was curiosity. I'll see if we can go figure this out. Um, and then the third thing was I did grow up with a, um, I had some really remarkable friends and coaches who poured into my life. Moving my body was, has been a part of my life since I was a teeny tiny little kid. Um, I think I have a ADHD tattooed on my forehead right so I mean I'm a card carrying member and instead of 
some of the more modern pharmaceutical approaches, but I had some people encourage different things growing up. And so that's paid dividends as I've been, I've gotten older. Yeah. So some of those habits are just instilled here, but as I faced my own mental health crisis, I trying to accomplish and achieve love and accomplish and achieve worth through job titles and through salary numbers and through any number of things. When you're trying to, when I was trying to just get to the finish line instead of running the race, um, you cut corners. You, I exaggerate. I'd make stuff up. I would just, you bend the, cause you, the goal is just to get to the finish line. And then what I've come to realize over the last 20 years of coaching and counseling folks and dealing with people in the worst of moments, man, none of that stuff matters. It just doesn't. And I know it sounds so cliche and cheesy and my 18 year old self would laugh at me, but it just doesn't. And, um, so then when I found myself not well, um, I was working at a university and so I just took a counseling class and I took another one and took another one and ended up with another degree. That was never the goal. The goal was just to figure out what's going on and then just kind of went down a rabbit hole there. Interesting. So you, you kind of ran into yourself, um, because you took one counseling class. Well, I, I knew I, I was real close to burning it all down. Okay. Um, I, I got to a point when I was over so much stuff at the university, one of the universities mm-hmm. I was working at, I, was, I had so many people working for me, so many departments, right. I, I could have not gone to work for a week or two. And if I just answered my cell phone, no one would have even asked where I was because right. right. I was just everywhere. And, um, and then I was in hospitals three or four nights out of the week with students or, you know, out mm-hmm. drunk students or sick students or students who passed away. I mean, just mess. And then you're dealing with crisis and trauma and then you're leading your own staff. And so you got to deal with their hearts and minds and dreams and wishes and hopes and fears and all that. And then we hadn't been able to have kids for several years. And then suddenly we had a little boy and my wife was a professor and we didn't, I mean, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And we lived in grief for so long. And then suddenly you got a kid and you're excited, but it's weird. And um, yeah, my brain just said enough and it manifested us. I had been on an MMA team for several years and we practiced from eight to 10 at night. And so I'd get home all wired up and then somebody handed me this magic pill called Ambien that would just knock you out <laughs> and suddenly five or six years later um I can't I can't get in bed without it right yeah, and yeah. so you're not sleeping and you're not it just goes on and on and on and on and then one day I just got up and didn't tell anyone where I was going and I drove to see a buddy who's a medical doctor and I said brother I'm not okay and that's daughter started a long journey back spiritually physically emotionally relationally everywhere and yeah. it's been it's been a rebuild ever since yeah would you say it sounds like most of that's probably the decade of the 30s i mean for the, the age age bracket yeah 26 to when i was in 26 is when i got my first higher ed job when i was over my head um yeah. when i was i was leading things that i was i didn't have the wisdom for right. a 26 year old kid dealing with really complex sexual assault cases and um tragedy i mean that those are tough and yeah. i had some extraordinary mentors that walked alongside me during those things but that was when it started. And then I had a ringside seat to watch an executive implode. And I learned, whoa, don't do those things. And don't, so it was, but that was the precursor on ramp to my thirties, which yeah. was trying to do it all and, yeah. uh, and not sacrifice anything. Yeah. But, but what I want everyone to hear, and, and you, and you probably have seen this to be true in your work is that your story, right. That the context of it may be different, but the, the truth is, is that we all, are on this path and we're all going to run up against ourselves, and we're all going to have a decision to make. Am I, and am I going to 
walk in truth and grace and, and try to figure this out. Or uh, as some would say, you know, typically around the age of 36, we hit this wall uh, and we can try to learn the lesson that God is trying to teach us. Or uh, what happens most frequently, especially in, in men's lives, is that we don't learn the lesson and we continue the cycle over and over and over, right? Build the business, it crashes, build the business. I'm a millionaire, it crashes, build the business, it crashes. Um, so if you're going to kind of reorient somebody that's listening to this, like, right, they're, they're, they're standing at that wall um, and they know the decision to make and they know the journey back home is the journey that they need to make. Uh, how would you try to help someone reorient their lives to, to make that journey back home, right? That ambient moment, um, possibly they don't have all the friends that you have to call, but how do you, how do you kind of guide someone through to just very pragmatic, uh, way of, of pointing them back home? I think the first thing is to recognize all of it's hard and the choice is not a difficult journey or an easy journey. The, the choice is choose your heart. It is hard being 75 pounds overweight and your knees don't work and you can't get out of bed and you don't feel like being intimate with your wife and she doesn't feel like you being around and you're grumpy and you're just watching video games and or playing video games, watch TV. That's hard life. And it feels simple. It's not, it's miserable. And getting up every single morning and working out is hard. And so the choice is you got to choose your heart. And when you, when I recognize there's not an easy road, there's not even taking your foot off the gas, you get hit from behind, right? You're going to get hit. And so uh, choose your hard. The second one is you can't do this by yourself and you've got to have other men in your life. And so I think back to when I made the decision to get in my car and drive and go see a doctor, the part of that story I don't always tell was a year before that, a buddy of mine who was some fancy pants lawyer. We just started lifting weights together at five in the morning. And we did that for a year. And I didn't think about it, but I just knew if I skipped, he'd, he'd be there. And so I kept going and kept going and kept going. And I used to think it was the physical benefits and the discipline benefits. Some of that's true, but really it was the accountability. And we talked about everything from marriage to kids, to frustration, to work, to complaining, to cheering each other on. And that was part of it. And then I had another guy who was a spiritual mentor and the three of us met for Mexican food every Tuesday for a year. And uh, we talked about scary things. I didn't know how to tell a group of guys, a couple of guys, dude, I'm really scared about this. And that was when the economic, like when the economy was collapsed, had collapsed. And um, there was a lot of uncertainty in the university world because you couldn't borrow money. I mean, it was a mess. And um, watching somebody who was a really remarkable and well, well, uh, respected leaders say, man, I'm really scared. I don't know. That didn't freak me out. That gave me a model for, oh, that's what courage looks like. That's what confidence <laughs> looks like. Um, going into a situation with bullets flying everywhere and not feeling uh, nervous, not feeling scared, not feeling apprehensive, that's insanity. That's not courageous. Courageous is feeling, dude, like I might get shot and I'm going in anyway, right? So it's learning what those things feel like. And then it was about having people in your life and making hard decisions and the hard decisions are not sometimes there I'm going to quit my job or I need to, you know, reimagine my marriage. Right. Often the hardest choices are I got to put my running shoes on right now. I got to put the donut down. I got to go lift. I got to not respond to this email until tomorrow. Cause I'm pissed off right now. I've got to 
if I look at my wife right now, I'm going to rage out and I still have to tell her, I'm sorry for what I just said. I still got to go help with the dishes because it's the right thing. I'm going to make dinner. So it's these things that feel so insurmountable. And I mean, you begin to practice those little things and it's remarkable. You look up and it's seven years later and everything around you is different. Yeah. And thank you for that. That is super helpful. Um, I think we over sensationalize and often over spiritualize the journey. It's, oh, absolutely. It's it's about (laughs) get a carrot, man, not a beer, and or stop at one beer and do it once a week instead of once every, you know, 30 minutes. It's sitting down and when you say, man, I need a drink or I need to grab some Skittles, just stop for a second and go, why? What, I, what am I hiding from? Right. So it's these little bitty moments. It's not these often these big grandiose Hollywood moments. Yeah. I mean, our, our comfort and complacency is, is literally killing us. Um, you know, and the, 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 the passive lifestyle um, from the outside looking in, it's like, Oh man, that must be nice to do whatever they're doing. Right. But the, the comfort is <laughs> like a perfect example. Uh, someone like day 14 of uh, the 75 uh, hard challenge right now. Okay, there you go. Uh, so super mindful things are happening. Like this morning, the girls are having their toast and uh, doing our deal. I got some new pumpkin butter yesterday from Trader Joe's. And I'm like about to put that spoon back in the sink. And I like look at it and I'm like, man, I would used to like just lick that sucker, right? <laughs> no big deal. Like I'm, I'm super healthy, but in the scheme of things, it's like, trying to take your mental awareness and your heart awareness to another level uh, because all these little things, I mean, make a huge difference over time. Um, and I th- here's where I've gotten uh, received a lot of grace for myself. And it's, it's actually made me breathe deeper. And one of my goals is to pass this along with those moments right there. Like I'm about to just lick the spoon or and i committed to something that said i wasn't going to we often moralize that or turn that into a character issue and getting into neuroscience last five or six years has been really helpful for me in that our brains are designed to offload as much as possible to go to default to routine as much as possible and so instead of judging yourself when you're about to put that in your mouth and go man you slob you what you're so unintentional you never just think i you can pause and go ah my brain offloaded that I need to be intentional about it. And it's honoring this wild brain that's trying to take in all these sounds and smells and colors and everything and process it all at once and know, oh, I do have control over my thoughts. I do have control over my default settings. I just got to even know I have default settings. And that's the same thing with rage. It's the same thing with getting like yelling at somebody or getting angry or skipping what all that stuff is. And if you can just be curious and not beat yourself up over it, then you can begin to just change the dial on your brain a little bit, man. Yeah. And it will catch yeah. up with no, in no time. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, and what you're talking about is that the perfection sets in that shame sets in for people um, that aren't, or aren't aware to that level for sure. Are you good? If I ask you a, a couple of coaching questions, dude, digging into anything, man, yeah. I'm wide open. All right. Uh, what is, what is John working on right now that, that you're just kind of hitting the wall, right? It may, it may not be, a real wall, but it's like, what are you working on? That's meaningful that you're trying to pursue uh, that maybe it's a challenge right now. Um, I would say the two biggest things that I'm wrestling with is um, uh, if you had said, what is my superpower? I would have given you two. One superpower is my ability to detach from a situation. So that comes from years of crisis work. So 
you can see blood and guts and brains and and there's i don't know how to describe it other than there's just a shift that you can make and back out of it so you can be present be with somebody and not be overwhelmed by it um the second one is sleep i've become pathological about sleep my friends have made fun of me for years about going to bed at 10 o'clock or nine o'clock or leaving the party just to go to bed and like every years they were they had their feelings hurt by it and i would just tell them the tomorrow's will be more fun if i could sleep and then they've got you know that as these these wearables have gotten more and more precise i've realized i am terrible at sleep so i'm in bed a long time but i'm terrible at it and as i've pulled the string on that and trade all the way back to childhood trauma one of the reasons that that um, dealing with childhood traumas and dealing with ongoing traumas and cumulative traumas is I think I've been in fight or flight for 40 years. And when you're fleeing for 40 years, I see a pattern in my life of chaos and of crap everywhere. And I'm always late to everything. So the last year or so for me in this, in this media ecosystem, uh, the, the more books you sell and the more radio shows you're on and the more talks you do the more books you sell and the more books you got to write and the more talks so it's it's a machine and it's a beast that you can never feed huh. and for a guy who's always just sliding into home like <laughs> my boss didn't like to travel with me in higher ed because i was almost always late to the flights and my, you can't do that when someone's paying you tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars to come lead their event for their th- you can't miss that flight you just huh. can't so it's and my family's got a plan and now I've got an 11 year old who's looking a lot like his old man and it's making me like oh no I gave him that I gave him that so some of it has been the reverse engineering all the way back to finally dealing with seven and nine year old John and some of that is dealing with what I think is the character issue of be on time and it's disrespectful to other people and what is the neurology in between those things what's the psychology and spirituality between those things so that's number one is dealing with some stuff I just haven't dealt with in a long time and the second thing is the trap in this particular job is always um, the way, here's the way I phrase it. A biology professor can go into the sophomore year in college and ask their students, Hey, what do you want to learn? What are you guys interested in Bio- biology? And they can say dinosaurs. They can say plants and say, great. I'm going to teach you all about dinosaurs and plants. And you can have a great class. You get great, uh, teacher evals the students would love it they'd learn some stuff about chlorophyll and about you know the jurassic age or whatever and they would fail the med school exam because you didn't teach them what they needed to know and so we're in this media ecosystem right now we're really in this education system where the world's just designed itself in the last five years just to tell us what we already know and what we already believe and we already think we want to And so there is no pressure to hear news that we don't want to hear. There's no pressure to hear news that are is uncomfortable for us. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just know if I want this, I'll go to Fox. And if I want that, I'll go CNN. If I want that, I'll go to ABC. And Instagram just sends me anything that I already think it knows me better than I do. And Facebook just tells me what I want to hear. And so for me, it is how do you balance trying to have a job? You want people to read your stuff. And at the same time, so much stuff in this in the mental health space out here is trash it's just garbage it's nonsense and how do you tell people hey here's what you really need to hear 
in a way that they'll actually want to hear it. Right. That's become the hard part for me. And I'm just used to captive grad students for the last 15 years that they got to sit in my class and we can walk through what you got to learn. And so it's trying not to be tempted by. So where that rubber meets the road there, um, I may get after somebody on on one of my shows. They call in and say, I'm cheating on my wife and blah, and I may let them have it. Well, if that video does really good, I got somebody who works here that will tell me that video did great. And the temptation for me is, is to yell at every caller. Make sport of every selection. Right. And yeah. so that may not be what every caller needs. Yeah. And so it's staying in my, it's staying in, in this moment, even if it's going to cost you views and likes, and those are real dollars too. Nowadays um, stay and play a long game. Like the long game is integrity and the long game is be true to yourself. And the long game is if this whole thing goes away, I'm still a good dad and I'm still a good husband and mm. we'll figure out what's next is next. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a tough, tough season. Yeah, absolutely. So, so playing the long game and then going back to the question that you're asking yourself. Uh, I mean, it's a common question I'll ask and, and people that do counseling, coaching kind of know that origin story. Uh, so what are you learning about yourself when you ask yourself that six, seven, eight years old, John, about uh, one, either possibly my presence doesn't matter or uh, I'm, I'm dishonoring myself or I'm dishonoring other people. So what are you, what are you actually learning from going back that is relevant to, to, mm. to John today. <laughs> I'll be really honest and you can just edit this out if it's not a good fit for the show. Okay. Um, the rea- what I didn't realize I was carrying. The narrative that I grew up with was this. John, there's a cosmic God who likes you. He loves you. But you said that bad word. Or you saw that playboy under that one guy's bed lives down the street and I had to kill my kid because of you. And now I'm watching. you. And if you screw up, I will torture and maim and burn you for all of eternity because that's what you get. And if I was to take God out of that equation and put a neighborhood father in that equation, that's trauma. That's abusive. And what I didn't realize is how much that translated to every other relationship. So I've found myself um, doing whatever I possibly could to either A, escape relationships or B, whoever that person in front of me needed me to be so that they would like me. And that's an exhausting, rudderless way to live. And so then you wake up and you're 30 or you're 40 and you're looking at your little kid and they can tell that you have no anchor. You don't know who you are because um, I've been playing a game. I've been running for 30, 40 years. And that's not to mention, you know, whatever real life trauma happens as a kid. So it's going back and writing letters to my six-year-old self saying, hey, you're a good kid. And you did stupid stuff when you were nine and you were nine, right? Or you were 18 and you're an idiot. And you were 28, you were 35, and you shouldn't have said this like this, or this joke wasn't funny. And there's a period at the end of that sentence that happened. And the question the world needs now is not you to whine and complain and try to go edit something you can't edit. It happened. The world's now asking, what sentence are you going to write next? And so it is really almost this weird reverse engineering, just going back and letting past John's finally sleep, finally rest. 
And some of it's been intentional with some intentional letter writing. Some of it is being intentional about when my body starts to react to things and like, where, where does that come from? Yeah. And that's just being curious, right? Just, I, yeah. I love the physiology of trauma. It's been fascinating to experience it in real time. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's being highly intentional. And some of that, Anna's going through some old memories that are, and I didn't, <laughs> I did not want to deal with. Yeah. And yeah. you got to, right. You got to, yeah. you got to dig the infection out. So how does this apply to, to John when he uh, goes on the next trip uh, with the Dave Ramsey team, whatever you're up to, and, and you're realizing I've got to show up uh, with my whole heart, character matters, uh, my presence matters because I need to honor them. Like, what's that narrative? Like, what's that kind of summary that you're kind of trying to play out right now that kind of helps you shift a new narrative? Mm-hmm. Um, it's two things. One, it's, there's an old Bobby Knight quote that everybody wants, and I'm going to butcher it, but everybody wants to be the champion on game day, Mm. but that's not where champions are made. And they're made in the practice room a year in advance. Right. So a lot of making sure my, I am, my head is on right. And I'm in optimum shape to deal with my thoughts and with my actions is making sure my nutrition's right and my sleep is right and my marriage is right and my relationship with my kids is right. And so all that stuff happens way upstream. And then when you land in a new town with a group of people and you get off the jet and you head up to the thing, I'm in a good mental space. I'm in a good physical space. The idea that I'm going to fall off some wagon, it's not even real because I've done the prep work. It's when you land somewhere in a new city and you're exhausted and you're baked and you're fried and you got to play some sort of role and that's when you're um, in danger of uh, slipping and falling and getting hurt, right? Uh, Making uh, bad decisions. And then the second thing is I, I don't fully have my head wrapped around this idea of what a brand is. Um, <laughs> somebody here said it best. A brand is who you are, what people think of you when you're not in the room. And I do like that. But the idea of constructing an artificial brand and trying to live into that is uh, insane to me. Yeah, I don't know how you can, you can't keep that up. And so the beauty of the organic nature of the way this thing started with me is um, like the brand is just, that's how that dude is, (laughs) you know what I mean? For good or for bad. And when I took this job, me and my wife talked about it. I'm just going to be as authentic as I can. And if it doesn't work, I'll have to look in the mirror and say, they didn't like me. And I'll have to be okay with that because the, the other side of that is, is playing a role in constructing some nonsense that at some point falls down. If you're not truly congruent at some point that implodes or worse, you pass it to your kids and they got to deal with that. And so those are the two things when you, you, you get way upstream and then, man, I did an event the other night. There was 1400 people there. And I told them out the gate, I'm as nervous as I've ever been because it was a homecoming event. I mean, it was just a weird event. So just being honest and not trying to play something that you're not. And um, people will go with honesty 99% of the time. Yeah. Congruency, integrity, an authentic heart goes a long way. Uh, it's a lot uh, less exhausting, right? Oh, yeah. But 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 our culture is very pretentious, right? Whether it's church, whether it's organizations, like Instagram, like right, we, we've set up our lives to be something that it's totally not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think COVID has exposed that, and people are, are are now having to run into themselves and begin to ask all these questions that we've talked about uh, today. Mirrors, mirrors, tough, man. Yeah. Yeah, stuff. say thank you for for your time i mean it, the the brand thing we could chase that for a whole nother while because i mean prior to this you weren't really on social media and one day i'm like 
I had zero, dude. I never, yeah, it didn't exist. I, was I like, just thought it was stupid. John Deloney, 200 followers. Who, <laughs> like, where's he been? Is he in Hollywood or what is he up to these days? And yeah, the yeah. next thing, that's you know, where I left. Yeah. When you and I left, that's where I was headed. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a weird ecosystem. And so the question for me is, how do you use something that I know both the research tells me, my personal experience tells me, I've been watching students implode, young people and their mm. families for years. Oh man, how do you wade into that and be a steward of it and not let it take over? And it's been tough, man. Yeah. Um, that that social media is a demon, dude. That stuff's tough, and yeah. not in like the spooky, like Bible demons, but like that sucker will get in your soul, man. Yeah. And it's yeah. tough. And at the same time, I don't know fifty thousand people. I don't know a million people. <laughs> I know I like hang out with the same five guys I've hung out with. The guy, I was in Lubbock, Texas this past weekend, and I hung out with the same dudes I was in college yeah. with. We just sat on somebody's back porch, and um, so I don't it's a great vehicle to connect, but it's not real connection. So it's a great vehicle to trade information. Oh. And is when I begin to think that it's connection, that's when I'm, I'm wrong. Cause it's not oh. when it's, I use it for a way to be clever or trade information or to pass along funny jokes. Then it's fun. Oh. Yeah. The, the story you were sharing before, uh, you know, about the Bobby Knight uh, quote, I often say, you know, champions on the outside are built with hope on the inside. Uh, that's kind of my, my mantra per se. Yeah. Um, so thank you kind of for speaking into that. I don't know if yeah. uh, that was part of your, your plan, but well, no, that here's the thing The um, one of the most important spiritual mentors in my life seems Randy Harris. And he, uh, he's, he, he spent a year with me in a, in a hard season for me, but one of the things he passed along that I continue to repeat to this day is so often sarcasm and pessimism present themselves as wisdom. And optimism and hope look foolish. It looks stupid. Hmm. And so when people come in and you ask them, like, hey, how's your weekend? And they just say, you know, uh, would you see what's going on overseas and the tweets and you see all the stuff? It's all coming down. We should like sell everything and put in Bitcoin because it's all falling down. You just think that guy's smarter than everybody else. And then when somebody else comes in and she's like, oh, man, my, my kids are healthy. And my husband and I went and hung out and the air conditioner works. I think, I mean, things are good. Sun, sun came up. I just automatically think she's naive and dumb and that's mm. not truth. That is just the ethos of our time. Right. And so Martin Seligman, I think has the most important psychological finding in the last hundred years, which is pessimism is a choice. Optimism is a learned behavior. Mm. I can choose to learn how to be hopeful. Right. And right. that sounds like a strange thing. Um, it's the same as you can learn desire in your marriage. You can learn to find somebody attractive if that's a choice you make. Yeah. And those type of that flies directly in the face of the world we live in now. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I think there's a powerful need to search and find hope because yeah. uh, we yeah. will find what we're looking for. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I want to honor your time, but yeah. we're on another thread of that. Uh, trying to flip the switch that that hope is a choice and hope is the strategy. Uh, we, we often think that that hope is this passive thing, but going back to the earlier part of our conversation is that that hope is sitting on the couch and you're down in the next beer or having your second glass of whiskey. And you're like, something's got to change. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting on my sneakers out tomorrow morning. I'm setting my shorts out and I'm going to do something mm -hmm. right. Hope is orienting to your life towards what you want and, and, you, yeah. and starting to pursue that. And it's that it's, 
yeah hope is, it it has a mystical quality to it yeah, and it shouldn't yeah, yeah. hope is if i do this take this next step it will um it will get me from here to there right that's hope yeah. and then you take that step and you take the next step you take the next step and hope is also was amos tversky says pessimism is stupid because if it happens you experience it twice once when you thought about it once when it came true like what a waste of a, of a way to live um i'm gonna hope that the things are gonna turn out right and i'm gonna do my part in just leaning that way right and i might break my ankle training for a marathon or i might try to plan a great romantic weekend for my wife that's a complete bust or i might try to hug my kid and the other morning lance i my daughter was uh had woke up early and I, she was coloring. It was like five 30 or six in the morning. And I re I was just walking by to head out the door and I kissed her on the head and said, good morning, baby. I love you. And she just shook her hair. And she says, ah, I wish you never existed. And I was like, that's a lot. You're five. What are you doing? And then she replied with all you ever do is try to kiss me and hug me. Um, what did she mm. say? She said, all you ever do is try to kiss me and hug me and tell me that you love me. I'm so over it. I can't live like this. She's five. And I looked at my wife's like, I, I didn't teach me that in grad school. I don't know what to say here. Right. So hope isn't naive and stupid. People are going right. to mean to you. The guy's going to cut you off. My buddy died the other day. My, I'm heading to a funeral. My aunt died yesterday. So hope isn't naive. Right, it right. is that the sun's going to come out tomorrow and I have a decision to make and I can walk this way or I can walk that way. And that's that simple. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here uh we'll link to all the different channels uh that you're on well man thanks for what you're doing you're putting out goodness in the world man yeah well thank you hey you had one thing like let's talk passion real quick you got two minutes yeah absolutely let's talk passion bring it for you what do you think about it well <laughs> i've been having a conversation with myself about passion recently so yeah so ask ask me a question i mean maybe help my brain orient it around what you're trying to ask um how about this? I'll make a statement and you say, I think that's stupid or I agree with you. Okay. Uh, I think we have turned passion into a, a drug and almost a burden because we're telling young people, you got to find this thing. Mm. And they are growing up thinking it's like an Easter egg that if they don't find it, they're going to live this miserable life, oh. but somewhere their passion is out there. And then they tie passion to a feeling like I can only be passionate about things that feel so super good. And that feeling is all the time. Yeah. And my understanding, my experience with passion has been, I'm really passionate about things I'm good at. Yeah. And I'm really good at things that I practice. And most of the time, I practice things that I have to do, that someone has made me do, whether I'm on a team or that my job makes me do. And it becomes this repetition. And then I begin to lean into it. And then I find success. And then I reach out to mentors and coaches and I get better and better. And suddenly I love this thing. Yeah. Yeah versus seeing something from afar and saying i'm just passionate about this yeah. it's not does that make sense so so passion is perseverance yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah yeah passion is the result of a lot of really hard work it's not this yeah. mythical feeling this spiritual high it's yeah. a it's the result of yeah yeah now um so monday i, I had pretty close to an ideal day I was with a guy from church uh then i went to the fire department with was one of the guys from the fire department serving as fire chaplain had a couple of coaching clients that afternoon 
but that didn't just randomly show up, right? I'm pursuing these, these passions that God has downloaded upon my life. And I've been trying to faithfully move in that same direction. Um, two and a half, three years ago, I decided to do some Spartans. Um, and all of a sudden we had a trip get canceled two weeks from now. And I like, look, I'm like, where, where's the Spartan race. Right. Uh, but that's passion, right? All of a sudden, like you do one and you're like, Oh, I kind of enjoy this, but I'm going to kind of keep moving in that direction just to see what cultivates and grows in my life because of that. I love it, dude. And it leaves you open-handed to Spartan races becoming father-daughter races, which lead to coaching your daughter when she's like it lead right. It, oh, yeah. it leads well, I, I, to an open-handed journey. Yeah. Uh, late October, we're all doing a family Spartan minus my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so four girls, they've been training on Saturdays to do a Spartan. The, <laughs> the Spartan I'm actually talking about is in Nashville. Uh, we, we surprisingly never been to Nashville. So come on, dude. It'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, I'll us when you're here. Yeah. What are you? I'm, I'm, I'm gathering data on, on, uh, passion. Okay. It's become a, it's become a hot button with me. So I appreciate your insight there. So what's the, what's the passion you're pursuing? Like put, put entree leadership, Dave Ramsey, all that stuff to the side, like kind of what's going on with John. Passionate about how can I be a better communicator? I talk too much and I tend to, I just, I've lived with scientists the last 20 years. So how do I, how do I speak more clearly, more concisely? Um, And how do I communicate ideas in a way that can help people change their life? And so I've become passionate about that. What does that mean? Like after I do a talk, there's a team of people who will review it with me and you want to watch yourself on a 16 inch flat screen, give a talk. It is hard. And with professional speech writers and, and who, people who are gifted at this, and they will let you have it, mm-hmm. right? Why are you wearing those clothes? Why are you standing like that? That joke was not even funny. Why are you, this line doesn't even work. I mean, it's a, it's a refinement process. And yeah. I've been public speaking for, what, 25, 25 years is when right, you right. Met, yeah. met me, right? Yeah. And so it's humbling to think the number one talent you have on planet Earth, you're starting at square zero with, right? Starting at square mm-hmm. one. Um, that's that old Ryan Holiday, ego's the enemy, man. It's once you decide to step into this thing, I got to go all the way back to square one and start again and, and get good at it. Okay. And um, it's been a humbling, good, pro- uh, humbling process. And I teach parenting for a living. I teach marriage for a living. And sometimes my marriage is a mess. And sometimes I don't know what I'm doing as a dad. And so it's, it's being humble. And I want to be really good at those two things also. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. you bet, man. Well, uh, peace and courage to you. And uh, you, brother. The, the journey. And I'll see you on Instagram as needed. So. Yeah. And then stop by when you're in Nashville. Holler at me. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Thanks, Tom. Take care, brother. Bye.